I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What is the state of college football? And will we have a season this fall or in the spring or at all? And what impact will conference-only schedules have on some of the smaller programs like USF? And why will the decision of the Southeastern Conference have a huge impact on the sport. We're answering all your questions with our two college football writers, Matt Baker and Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, on tomorrow's podcast, uh, keep note of this. It's opening day in Major League Baseball. That's right. We're finally here. It's the Rays hosting the Blue Jays at the Trop. We'll have Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, our Rays beat writer, to get you ready for opening day. Hey Matt, I'm going to I'm going to start with you. Uh just just from a like a macro, you know, 30,000 foot view of things. Where do we stand with college football? In other words, I'm I'm a big college football fan. We know it's such a popular game. If if I'm a consumer, do I should I expect games this fall? And when I say fall, I'm talking about maybe August or September. If you're talking August or September, no, I don't think you should expect games. Certainly not in, in August. You know, the, the, the week zero is supposed to be August 29th. I think it's pretty unlikely, maybe highly unlikely, that that actually happens. Um, mm-hmm. For most teams, you know, Gators, Bulls, um, Knowles, they're supposed to open on September 5th. I don't feel particularly confident about that either right now. Maybe later in September it's possible, maybe October. Um, but just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not optimistic. I, I'm a pessimist by nature. Um, and I'm just not optimistic that it's going to happen. I think there's too many logistical hurdles. Um, you, you look at things like testing. Um, the, the policy that the NCAA wants is uh, 72 hours before kickoff. I don't know how feasible that is when you look at some of the, the delays and the lags that, you know, uh, testing sites have had across the country. How feasible is it everybody's going to have the tests back in 72 hours and is that the best use of our country's resources? Um, you look at the, the possibility of outbreaks happening and what happens if that does happen uh, to to a school and a team and the possibility of stuff being shut down and with campuses reopening or not reopening. There's different cans of worms there. So I'm not particularly optimistic. Um, we can talk about this more in a, in a minute, but I think my best guess, best educated guess, and I'm going to repeat the word guess, is that in the next couple of weeks, things kind of get kicked down the road. They shorten the season. Um, they push it back and push it back as long as they can until uh, either they have to, they, they're comfortable trying it or this spring last resort option becomes the only option left. Just to piggyback off that, Matt, you know, talks about them kicking the can down the road. I agree with that. I think some of these conferences, you know, specifically the SEC, uh, you know, the Big 12, the ACC, and even, you know, USF's conference, the American Athletic Conference, I think they're they're waiting until the last possible or last plausible moment to make a decision on some of these things just because so many livelihoods are at stake. I mean, let's face it, obviously health and safety of, of, of players and staff and even fans is, is paramount. Nobody's denying that. But if you get to a point where you have to call off a football season, you're going to see that have a crippling effect on athletic departments. Sports are going to go away. Scholarships for students in those sports are going to go away. Staff people, you know, academic advisors, people in sports information departments, they're going to lose their jobs. It's going to have a debilitating effect. And while health and safety is paramount, you can't ignore the other concerns, people losing their jobs, you know, how that affects them emotionally and mentally, that's got to be a consideration too. That can't be swept under the rug. So that's why I think you're going to see these conferences and you are seeing these conferences waiting until the last plausible moment before making a decision because the ripple effect is going to be very, very significant. 
you're exactly right, Joey. Um, you know, to some degree, what the conversations that we're having now with, with college sports is the same ones that are happening and have been happening nationally for the last four months, however many months it's been, um, because there's a, you know, the safest thing for everybody to do is to stay in their homes for, for weeks and then this thing subsides. But that's not necessarily practical because there are jobs, there, there's money, there's an economy, there's people's livelihoods. So, you know, you don't want to be necessarily completely open either because then that's a major health risk. So what's the happy medium in the middle? Um, you, you're, you're right that it's going to affect people financially. It, it already has. I mean, was it a week and a half ago, Florida State announced they were going to cut their operating budget, their athletic operating budget by 20%, laid off by, I think it was 25 people, including a friend of mine, um, and, and on and on. So we're already seeing that effect just because of what they think is happening and what's going to happen. I mean, some of the figures I've seen, it, depending on if there's a season or what it looks like, I think Wisconsin said they're going to lose probably $50, $60 million, potentially more than that if there's no season. Minnesota, I think the number was $75 million. And that's just two examples of, of people who have been up front with it and universities that have been up front. So they, they have to try as best they can because there are enormous, I mean, we're talking a lot of people potentially out of work. Um, not to mention the effect that this pandemic has had on universities and colleges as a whole, which is a completely different can of worms and international students and housing and all that type of stuff. So there, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff in here to unpack with the, the economic ripples that will happen, which is why they have to kind of, like what Scott Strickland said the other day, uh, they owe it to themselves and to everybody around to run out every ground ball possible to play as much as possible, as soon as possible, as safely as possible, because the health is the most important thing, but you can't discount the people's livelihoods either. Joey, as far as USF goes, have, have they, uh, you know, it's, a, I mean, look, they're not in the biggest conference in the world. They have a lot of other sports over there. Have they begun to, to target any of those sports? Have any of them been canceled as of yet? Not targeting sports or personnel, as I've heard, but Michael Kelly has said, the athletic director, that they have to make a 15% budget cut, you know, in their department, uh, you know, for the uh, 2021, you know, athletic year. So where's that going to come from? You know, who knows? So, you know, we, we talk about this and then you compound the fact that if there's no football season, well, it's probably going to be a lot more than 15%. So. Uh, he's not been specific about where those uh, where those cuts would come from. Maybe, you know, just in terms of the amount of marketing they do and, you know, advertising and promotions and things of that nature. But at this point, nobody's lost their job, to my knowledge, and no sport has been cut. You know, I think that would be the, the very last 11th hour resort they would go to. But it, it's going to have to come somewhere. And that uh, that cut's going to be far more significant. If they can't play football, for instance, you know, as of right now, the, you know, the Texas athletic director has doubled down. He said, we're planning to host the University of South Florida on September 5th. And USF is, you know, per their contract, you're scheduled to get $1.9 million for going out there and playing that game. So, I mean, for a place like USF, that $1.9 million is are very significant dollars. So... If that game can't be played, you know, that's the ripple effect we're talking about. Then you, you may start to see people lose their jobs or, you know, maybe they have to sit down at a table, Michael Kelly and his people, and say, okay, this $1.9 million paycheck, we're not getting it. You know, where do we have to cut? So, you know, I know in society so many people, and you see them on social media say, hey, let's just cut sports. Let's just cut sports for the rest of the calendar year. Let's do the right thing. And maybe that is the right thing, but go tell that to that person who's going to lose their job as a result of that sports being cut. It's not right. that simple. There's, you know, there are economic implications, and those implications can affect families and livelihoods and, you know, whether people, you know, will have enough food in their pantry. So it's just, it's very difficult. But, you know, as of right now, USF is kind of sort of status quo, but that could change very quickly. Yeah, Matt, I, you know, th what this has done, and I think you've written about this, but what this has done is expose what has always been the softest underbelly of college athletics, which is there's no governing body. I mean, for as much as the NCAA wants to regulate championships, they really can't or don't control much what each conference does. I mean, this is a little bit like the Wild West. It's not like you have an NFL commissioner 
negotiating with players union and, and deciding whether there's going to be a season and what the schedule is going to look like. In other words, everybody's kind of on their own here. Has this not just sort of, you know, exacerbated that situation uh, where the NCAA is kind of a spectator at this point? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, there, there's been a couple coaches, Mac Brown to name one, who have come out lately, you know, kind of the, the old, uh, it's a great July argument in a normal off season that college football needs a, a commissioner. Um, and, and I mean, I think that this has uh, shown that there's no leadership at the top. I mean, the, the NCAA controls the postseasons for the you know every other sport except for football where it's the college football playoff based on all the the commissioners and and the conferences themselves so it's possible hear me out for a second it's possible that the ncaa could get rid of the uh fall championships for volleyball and cross country and and the other sports but college football could say you know what we're still going to play and we're still going to have our our championship game uh down at hard rock stadium in miami and the rose bowl and all that stuff Mm. So that's just shows kind of the, the disconnect between football and everything else. Um, the, the void in leadership has been, I, I would say astounding, but that's not the right word because that implies some sort of surprise. And I don't think anybody's <laughs> su- surprised by this. Uh, I'm going to read you one of the, the, the most head scratching statements I've ever seen any governing body, any major person make. Um, th- this is from July 9th. This is around the time the Big Ten was canceling their conference game, their non-con games, excuse me, and the Pac-12 right. was doing the same, and the Ivy League was, was you know, getting ready to, to change their season. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact college sports nationally, the NCAA supports its members as they make important decisions based on their specific circumstances and in the best interest of college athletes' health and well-being. That doesn't wow. even pretend to try to say anything remotely helpful or interesting there's no leadership there. That's just, hey, we support you. Uh, and, and that's what the NCAA is right now. Uh, it's the conferences making the call. And, and it's, it's, it's not just the conferences making the call. As we get closer to decision time, and I think next week we're going to know a little bit more in terms of what things might look like, the concrete stuff. It, we're learning who all is making the decisions. So at some, some level, it's the conferences. At another, another level, it's going to be the presidents and, and the universities themselves, the administrators, the board of regents. And then, I mean, shoot, just today, uh, I saw a story from the Albuquerque Journal. The governor of New Mexico sent a letter to the uh, head honchos at New Mexico and New Mexico State asking them not to play sports this fall um, unless some, unless things change drastically here coming up. And, you know, the, the Gators are supposed to host New Mexico State in November. So there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And the NCAA is just like sitting around kind of waiting for their takeout order on, on DoorDash. Wow, Joey, uh, you know, I'm curious, too, about this. What, what's the nexus or the relationship between whether uh, certain uh, universities are going to allow even having students on campus and having football practice? I mean, in other words, we always hear, you know, there's student athletes. And, well, if that's the case, you know, they're not necessarily being, you know, being given the same sort of uh, safety precautions, if you will, by, by being around on campus. So is there any, any rift there between those, those situations? I think there's a, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of deliberation, probably a better word, just about that kind of disconnect between, you know, having students back on campus and, you know, how that will affect, you know, the, you know, a, a football team, you know, amidst the student body that, you know, could cause, you know, one of these campuses to become become a COVID epicenter. I think on the other side of that, Rick, though, you know, we see all these bubble environments now, whether it's the NBA or the yeah. NHL or even kind of to a degree, Major League Baseball. These guys are participating in a bubble. Um, right. You know, you could make the argument that you get 85 to 100 college football players who are in a de facto bubble, for lack of a better word. They are sure. they have they have access to you know medical personnel every day. They're getting tested, if not every day, you know possibly more than once a week. Uh, you know they strength and conditioning people, sports medicine people, who can supervise them in their workouts and keep you know keep things sterilized and clean. So. You know, if college sports, you know, can just kind of figure out a way to keep these guys, you know, 
in a bubble on an on-campus bubble, you know, kind of distance from the rest of the student body, maybe, maybe this could work in terms of getting a, a college football season off the ground. Maybe, you know, these guys are the front porch of your university in a, in a big way, college football and college athletics is the, is what people see when they, when they look at a university or somebody mentions a university, the first thing that comes to mind is the athletic program, the football team or the basketball team. This is the front porch. So maybe you allow these guys in this bubble to have, you know, online teaching, online classes, keep them sequestered as best you can from the rest of the student body to let them try and get a sports season, you know, let, let it get it off the ground so you can, so you can play the games and provide that product to the public and bring in those dollars, you know, for your university. I don't know, but I mean, the deliberations continue. Yes. What's going to happen when thousands of students get back to campus and they're interacting with the college students, things, things very well could go haywire. It's a, it's a great concern. And those conversations are going on. I I think what you just touched on Joey is, is one of the reasons why this, why college football is so complex uh, these issues are just so complicated because there's so many moving parts. You can't, I mean, you can't do the bubble like the NDA is. You, you, you can't. You can try to recreate it and do some bubbly things, but you, they just can't copy what the NBA is doing. So it's a matter of what could make sense. And there's, again, there's just so many moving parts. If you're treating, yes, you're exactly right. If you treat, if you try and treat college football players differently because of the the money that they bring in and the fact that they are the front porch and the fact that um you know there is a morale component to this too that the the university needs something to cheer for we as society need something to cheer for that's all fine and dandy um but the ncaa has also been arguing for years that these you know these are student athletes they're students first and most of them are going to go pro in something other than sports and they're definitely not employees oh goodness they are not employees they are students who happen to play sports so if you're playing, if you're if you're treating them significantly differently now, that's an argument that hurts the NCAA later on as they talk about pay for play and that uh, name, image, and likeness and that sort of thing. There's kind of a moral and ethical thing too: is why should these guys be treated any differently than anybody else? Um, I've gone, I've kind of gone back and forth about the idea of um, what should happen if there are no students on campus or few students on campus and all the, the it's all virtual classes for the semester. It, it would be really bad optics to have college football, you know, say it's, it's safe enough to play college football, but not safe enough for you to have your, your Shakespeare class in person. Right. That's kind of weird. There's some liability issues with that. But at the same time, if you're really talking about safety, it makes sense to try to have that bubble where there aren't tens of thousands of other, uh, 20 you know 18 to 22 year olds around because i i got news for you if there are other kids around on campus there is no bubble with with college football college football i i don't know how that bubble i'm talking about that bubble i'm talking about just you know just refers to maybe your football team on campus and trying to keep them sequestered Uh, that doesn't even talk about the travel involved i mean Mm -hmm. the nba the nhl they have a finite number of teams yep comparatively speaking Major college football has an infinite number of teams, 130, who are going to be traveling all over the place. So they're going to have to get outside that bubble at some point, and that may be totally impractical to ask USF to go fly to from one, you know, COVID epicenter to another, you know, on September 5th, or to go to I don't know Philadelphia or you know the Carolinas or or Cincinnati. I'm just talking about that that sequestered, you know, bubble on campus. You've got whole whole nother set of issues when you talk about traveling because the NCAA major college football has an infinite number of teams. Yeah, I mean, you're talking 130 teams, 100 players per team, plus support staff. At bare minimum, you're talking 15,000 people. And I'm sure the number is more than that. It's probably significantly more than that. So yeah, there's a lot of wrinkles there. I'm just thinking on campus in that bubble. Um, Joey, I don't think you ever went to a party when you were in college. Is that correct? (laughs) No, I spilled more than you ever drank, buddy. <laughs> well, that is accurate. I'm. Uh, I didn't become. I didn't drink anything really until I had a kid, because you know that's how it works. Um, 
<laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, uh, some college kids are, are going to have parties as they're going to socialize or they're going to go out and enjoy uh, beverages and, and do things even if they're told not to. Um, so that's going to have, I mean, look, let's just be real. These are all the, the issues that schools are going to be dealing with. And, and we've seen at um, LSU and Michigan State, to name two, uh, there, were, there were outbreaks, some in athletics, but also just around the campus as a whole trace to specific parties and specific bars. So once more people come back to campus, that's going to be, I mean, there are going to be outbreaks and depending, unless you have a bubble for everybody, all 150, whatever number it is, kids and support staff are completely buying into this, there's gonna be leaks and that's gonna be an outbreak. And if it's your left tackle, then now your your left guard is out and then your center's out and, and on and on. There's, there's just, that's why this is just so complex and there's so many moving parts, which makes this the, the most challenging sport to return. I'm curious, you know, we, we've seen several conferences, the Big Ten uh, among them, I think uh, the ACC say that they're going to play just within their own conference, right? Um, others have not made that commitment just yet. First of all, what's the purpose of that? I mean, if it's travel, well, Rutgers still has to go to Nebraska, so you're not exactly solving a regional uh, you know, travel problem there. And uh, do you guys expect other conferences like the SEC and, and, and such may follow suit? And of course, as Joey mentioned, Joey, that would that would be a devastating blow for uh, for USF if they couldn't go to Texas. I'll start. The, the advantage uh, is, yeah, in some cases there's going to be less travel, um, but but to me the the main advantage is there's a couple. Um, so Florida is supposed to host Eastern Washington on September 5th. The Gators have enough money. To, to do all this, the testing necessary, um, just like Florida State and, and, and Texas and some of the others. Eastern Washington doesn't have that kind of money. I think it's about a half million dollar payday. is enormous to Eastern Washington. So Eastern yeah. Washington, in theory, could do everything it can to, to make that money, to get that money. Um, I don't, you know, their testing might not be as stringent. It might not be to the standard that UF wants, in which case, and plus they have this economic incentive to try and play the game. So that could lead to some shenanigans where, yeah, I'm sure these guys are fine. They play a football game. You know, the, again, the left tackle at, at Eastern Washington has it. Now suddenly the Gators defensive line is exposed to it. So that's one potential problem with non-con. And if you get away with the, the non-con games, everybody in the SEC is doing the same testing. You know everything is probably going to be about the same. So that's one problem that's eliminated. The other one is is a scheduling issue. So again, I think the best case scenario for college football in the fall right now is assuming that there are going to be outbreaks. We, we just have to assume that. And that means there are going to be games that are canceled or postponed or forfeited, whatever word you want to use. Because Team X has an outbreak. They don't have enough players. They don't have enough offensive linemen to play this week. They can't. So if you assume that's going to be a possibility, having only conference games allows you to move things around. Okay, well, Team X was supposed to play Team Y this week. They can't. But if we move these three games around later in the season, okay, Team X gets to play Team Y on uh, October 31st. That's the type of stuff, the, the flexibility that a conference-only schedule allows. Um, gotcha. And especially if you can work in the open dates right and that sort of thing. So I think that's one of the reasons that it's kind of hard to articulate. And again, it, you're, you have to assume that there's going to be these outbreaks, which is something nobody wants to assume. Um, so that, that's kind of one reason why this might be, a, why this is a way that the, that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 ha, have been going. And you know, we'll see what the SEC and ACC uh, and Big 12 decide to do. Again, probably next week we should learn a little bit more. Matt is on point with, with the reasons for going to, to conference-only play. Here's the dilemma, and it's something I wrote about in Wednesday's uh, Tampa Bay Times. What about those game contracts that Florida signed with Eastern Washington or Ohio State signed with Bowling Green? You know, Bowling Green was supposed to get $2 million to go play Ohio State. Well, there are, there are clauses in every contract. They're called force majeure. They're boilerplate clauses. They're in every contract in college football and in sports in general. And they're basically an act of God clause, which basically says... This game can be called off and both programs can, um, you know, can be forgiven of any liability uh, if an act of God or an unforeseeable circumstance prevents this game from being played. Both, both 
both programs are free from any, any obligations of the game contract. Well, what if Ohio State says, we can't play this game, Bowling Green, because of, you know, COVID-19, an act of God, an unforeseeable circumstance. Okay, fine. But then you turn right around and play nine conference games. You can't mm-hmm. have it both ways. So there's going to be some, some haggling and some, some wrangling over these non-conference games because, as Matt indicated, you know, the USFs and the Bowling Greens of the world are, need these games, you know, to, to finance their programs. Bowling Green, again, is supposed to get $2 million to play Ohio State. USF is supposed to get $1.9 million to play Texas. Ohio State can't say, okay, you know, an unforeseeable act of God, COVID-19, we can't play you, Bowling Green. It's not practical. They, they can't turn around and then play nine conference games. So unless, unless Ohio State had it written specifically in its contract that said something to the effect of uh, if our conference precludes us from playing this game, uh, we can't play it unless they had that language, which they probably did not, then they're going to have to reach some kind of a settlement or there's going to be some, some legal wrangling involved. So, you know, going to a conference only schedule makes a lot of sense for these conferences. But, you know, something's going to have to be done about these non-conference games that are called off. I'll, I'll make two other points here. Um, one is we've seen some of this in the past. Uh, I'm going back to Hurricane Irma here. Uh, the the uh, Rick the fighting Rick Strouds of Arkansas State uh, was supposed to host Miami. Tragic. And, uh, yeah, Miami didn't feel comfortable uh, playing up there because of the hurricane, and uh, you know it was understandable because you know it was an enormous hurricane. Um, but then Arkansas State said, "Well, you, you you could have played. Other teams played. You just you just didn't think you it was safe. You just didn't want to." So that ended up going to court, and they, they settled. I don't remember what the settlement was exactly, but so there is some precedent with this. This is stuff that happens sometimes. Um, but Joey's right; we're going to see this a lot more, where maybe a two million dollar settlement gets negotiated down to one, you know, that type of thing. Um, and, and the other thing, I feel very strongly about this. You know, the, one of the reasons I love college football is the rivalries and, and the pageantry and that sort of thing. So specifically as it pertains to in, in this state. I could live without, I mean, I could live without any of this stuff, but if there's no Florida State, West Virginia, and Atlanta, that's fine. I'll get over that. Like, you know, things will, things will go on. If there's a college football season where Florida doesn't play Florida State, right. but, Florida, but Florida does play South Carolina and Missouri and, and they go to Vanderbilt, that's, that's going to be tough um, because that's, you know, college football is not about Florida and Vanderbilt. It's about Florida and Florida State. And that game means so much. So if you get rid of the non-con games, you get rid of some of those. And I understand this is a unique circumstance, and, and we should take the – if we can get anything out of this, then that's great. Take it and be happy. But I would love to see something as we sit here right now where, where Florida and Florida State can play each other, um, where, where some of those rivalries, you know, Louisville and Kentucky, South Carolina and Clemson, some of those games can still take place. So I'm – when I put my optimistic hat on, I'm hopeful that there's a season and that we can preserve that type of the sport as well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Joey, what what has Jeff Scott? I mean, here's a here's a brand new head coach um, under you know the worst of circumstances, perhaps to start your head coaching career, um, and yet they I've talked to him. They've tried to to do the best they can, but what impact does that have um, on a on a new new coaching program on on recruiting too? There, I mean, there are there's got to be some you know some residual to you know. To, to classes and, and if they don't play or if they do play what, you know, the, the backlog of, of guys wanting to get into college football. From a recruiting standpoint, I think they're fine. Um, you know, just put a really 
bright, young, energetic staff together. Some of those guys with some name recognition. Daquan Bowers comes to mind. Yeah. Pat White comes to mind. Recruiting-wise, I, I really don't think they're going to miss a beat. They may even take an uptick because Charlie Strong's last couple of years were kind of lackluster. So I, I think Jeff Scott and his staff bring a breath of fresh air just on the recruiting front that I think is going to benefit USF immediately. Uh, otherwise, in terms of 2020, if there is a season, I'm going to quote the immortal Dalton from Roadhouse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm working on a story right now al along with Matt about just the big questions going into college football season. You know, Jeff Scott presumed he would have 15 spring practices, including, you know, a handful of live scrimmages in which to, you know, get a toehold on his quarterback derby. He's got uh, three legitimate candidates to be to be the starter at quarterback. You know, he's got more scholarship quarterbacks than that on the roster, but he's got three three that I believe, you know, have a have a reasonable chance of, of being a starter this year. Well, his spring was wiped out. And on top of that, Jeff insisted he didn't watch any film of these guys before that first and only spring practice because he didn't want, you know, he didn't want film to give him any kind of preconceived bias or anything about these guys. He wanted his first look at his players to be what he saw in spring practice. Well, I imagine he's probably looked at some film now. Out of but, um, you know, now basically he has to condense a decision that probably you know, you know he would have liked months to have um, to have pondered and assessed. Now he's got to make that decision in a matter of weeks, and maybe even only a couple of weeks. USF starts its twenty-hour-a-week phase, where Jeff and his staff have twenty hours a week with these guys for conditioning and walkthroughs with a football and film study. That starts Monday, and Texas is about. You know, just a little over a month after that. So, you know, he's got to, in these, in the, you know, in this very condensed time frame, he's got to determine a starter and then turn around and give that starter first team reps. He's got to make a decision quick if he's going to settle on one guy because he's got to give that one guy the reps that he needs, at, you know, as a first team quarterback. So, if, you know, it, for the long term, I think USF made a great choice with Jeff Scott. I think they're going to be just fine. For 2020, if there's a season, it's going to be really, really rough, in my opinion. And Matt, it's no different at Florida State with a new head coach there as well. Yeah, are we actually talking football? Is that? Is that what I know. Is I know. I I only shifted the paradigm just for a minute here, but it's funny because I'm I'm just I've got a stack of preseason magazines uh, on my desk that I, I barely look through, and I, I hope to <laughs> eventually. Like <laughs> August third, my AP top 25 preseason ballot is due. I keep pushing it off. Like, oh, I'll worry about this in a little bit because, you know, we'll see if there's a season. Um, yeah, Florida State was one of the programs that I think has been kind of hurt more than others by, by the, the lack of spring and just everything that's happened. Um, just because they needed time for, for the new coach, Mike Norvell, to get to know the players and get to, you know, them to get to know him. And, and you know, FSU obviously has some, some holes to fill. Um, you know, it, Cam Akers uh, leaving a uh, running back to the NFL being one of the biggest. And there, there's obviously been the, the friction that happened um, over the kind of the, in the aftermath of the, the George Floyd protests and everything between Marvin Wilson, you know, FSU is probably their best player and the coaching staff that quickly got, you know, solved and everything has, has been moving forward. But, you know, there was a little bit of that friction that had to be get, get fixed. And, um, yeah, I don't know what to make of, of the Knolls um, this season just because I don't think the Knolls know what to make of the Knolls. Um, and again, as we, we look at the schedule and might what may or may not happen, I mean, heck, West Virginia just cut ties with their defensive coordinator today, uh, about an hour or two as, after we heard this on Wednesday morning, um, which throws the opener in Atlanta, and, and that makes it even, even more interesting, assuming it happens. Yeah, and then you got you know independents like Notre Dame. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know where they go for scheduling if everybody goes to a uh, an all conference thing. Do we do we expect the SEC to do that? Do we expect them to stay within the conference? So the Notre Dame, uh, because they have the what are they? They're the partial members, I think, the technical term of the ACC. So they have their yes. kind of scheduling alliance. Notre Dame will be okay. 
they will get at mm. least a handful of those games from the ACC. I think it's, it's either five or six. I can't remember. Um, okay. And then if if there if it's at all possible, Notre Dame is going to play Navy. Um, so they'll they'll make something work and and, and get something out of it. Um, as far as the SEC, I don't have a good read on what they want to do. You know, um, Greg Sankey, the commissioner, has been. He's one of the most calculating, sharpest guys that I've ever encountered. So what he says, he says very, very carefully. And he's been very diligent about kind of taking as much information as possible, watching NASCAR and how they return, watching MLS and how they return, you know, with, with NFL training camps uh, kind of getting ready to start soon. And you know, on, on Friday, college football is going to start these, these modified walkthroughs that Joey, uh, that Joey referenced so there, there's going to be more information about how successful returns or non-successful returns have been going before they start making decisions um i think eliminating conference games or non-con games uh is certainly a possibility with the sec i think they could go uh, an eight plus one model where everybody plays eight conference games like they're currently scheduled and then everybody gets a non-conference game as well so that way the gators do get to play fsu um, the a- ACC, Big 12, and SEC haven't made decisions yet, so they can form some sort of scheduling alliance where they can kind of help each other out and make sure that those types of games do indeed happen. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a possibility. Um, I-, I think it's possible next week they could decide to push the season back more, um, get rid of conference games entirely, do 8 plus 2, uh, say we're going to try and play the whole season, but we're pushing back the start date. Uh, they could push conference championship weekend by a, a week or two. I mean, there's so many scenarios floating around. I don't think anybody has a good gauge on what's going to happen. And the, the other part that I keep coming back to, what happens at the end of July might not be where things stand on the middle of August, and certainly not on August 29th or September 5th. This has been a fluid situation. I'm expecting it to be a fluid situation for the next month, probably two, maybe longer than that. Um, I, it's, it's been the weirdest off season of my career, no question. And it's not, you know, the, the weirdness and fluidity isn't going anywhere. Joey, the uh, Raymond James stadium has $10.45 million in federal money to make things safer, uh, for fans and for staff and, and such, um, have have anybody talked have they talked about playing college football with fans who would be in charge of that decision is that a is that a government decision and in a larger scale i mean unlike the nfl which makes a lot of money uh, probably a, a higher percentage than not from television networks and contracts and i know college football makes a lot as well my understanding is college football is way more dependent on the number of bodies in the seats um, so what impact is that going to have? Do we know if they're going to be fans watching games this year? You know, like Matt said, it's all a fluid situation. And, yeah. uh, while yes, college athletics is dependent on fan, you know, on fans in the seats, they certainly also have some very lucrative media rights deals that, you yeah. know, aren't going to send them to the poorhouse. You know, I, I guess it depends from, from, you know, from place to place, obviously, you know, we're, we're talking state universities. So, you know, if if our state government makes some kind of, you know, executive order or guidelines regarding, you know, regarding fans, you know, that's one thing as far as far as it pertains to to USF, which rents a, um, you know, a publicly owned stadium. Um, last I've heard, they're still in discussions with the folks at Raymond James Stadium and the Tampa Sports Authority about, you know, right. wh- whether it's practical to have fans, you know, in their venue this year, um, you know, whether, you know, whether that's 50 percent capacity, 25 percent capacity. Those um, those talks are still ongoing. And certainly the, the, the upgrades from a COVID-19 perspective as a precaution that have been put in at Raymond James Stadium certainly helps that cause, uh, you know, but it remains to be seen whether, you know, we'll have you know, half capacity, quarter capacity, or any capacity for Bulls games this year. You know, I do know, you know, at Texas, again, as I mentioned earlier, Chris Del Conci, the Texas athletic director, doubled down today, and he told at least one reporter out there, we're, we're, having, we're planning to have fans at our game against South Florida on September 5th. Uh, as it stands right now, that the plan is to have 50% capacity. Well, Texas Memorial Stadium 
has a seating capacity of 100,000. So you're talking hmm. 50,000 people in the stadium on September 5th if things go according to, to the Longhorns' plan. But, you know, wow. I think it's just it's going to depend, you know, from from state to state, from university to university, as we see, you know, the executive orders made in, in I believe it was New Jersey or, and even New York. Uh, they're, they're not allowing fans, you know, in some of those venues, even where, where the Giants and the Jets play. And Matt touched on Rutgers. You know, there's they're not going to have fans in, you know, in their venue this year. So it, it's just going to. Again, we talk about college football cannot exist in a bubble, major college football, because it's sprawling. It's literally nationwide, 130 universities. There's not a finite number of teams like we have in the NHL or the NBA where you can, where you can reasonably sequester those teams and their staffers in one place. This is sprawling, and we're going to see a sprawling set of guidelines, whether you're in Washington or whether you're in new york or whether you're in florida or california and and what you have to remember too it's it's sprawling you're 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 exactly right and again college football isn't homogenous where usf needs the ticket money more than the gators do you know usf gets was a couple million a year from the new aac deal something like that yes okay and compare that to the gators which get 40 or 50 million dollars a year from the sec something like that because of because of tvb money and some of the other stuff so i mean that's a, a huge chunk of change difference yes the gators would love to have ninety thousand people at the swamp and if they can't have that they'd love to have 40 and if they can't have that they'd love to have 15 um but just the money you know the usfs and ucfs are more reliant on the ticket money than gotcha. the, the gators and some of the other schools are um, and that's just, a, I don't want to call it a haves and have nots. That's just, they're just different schools, different leagues, and, and it's different. And, you know, I think that's one reason why we're going to see different approaches to how this, uh, you know, how things open up and how things go in the fall. And honestly, I think that's one reason why some conferences might be better off trying to go to the spring. Um, you know, we, we haven't talked about that much here, but I, I think the spring is a, I think in some ways it's a better model because I, I maybe I'm, I'm dumb. Don't, don't say anything, Joey. Um, but I think we as a society are probably going to be in a better place in March than we are in October. Um, you know, you look at some of the promising headlines that have come out about vaccines. You look at how much we've learned about the coronavirus so far and some of the treatments that are getting better. So if things are maybe looking better by March, I think the odds are that there will be, you know, we'll be in a better place. Maybe more fans will be able to come. That means more money and universities uh pockets to kind of make up for some of the hits they've been taking it's not a guarantee by any means but you know nothing is a guarantee at this point that that went out the window a long long time ago so i think that kind of increases the likelihood the probability that they can get more games in which means more money and 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 more fans and more butts and seats there's two reasons why i think spring football is not practical one your your marquee guys any guys with any remote aspirations of playing in the nfl aren't going to play spring football so you're not going to have any trevor lawrence's justin fields justin fields those guys aren't going to play and that's right quite frankly they wouldn't be very wise to play secondly if you do that you're compromising the 2021 season how can you reasonably play a full spring season and you know from late february through early May or whatever the case may be, and then turn around and play a 2021 season. Just physically, how do, I mean, how do players do that? I, I just don't think that's practical. So those are the two. I mean, I know it's an option, and if it's the, the last option standing, I'm sure, you know, if it's, if it's an option that saves jobs and livelihoods, I'm sure people would go to that. I just don't think it's practical at all. Your, your points are, are well taken. Um, I. And I would believe me, I would hate to not have the opportunity to see Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields again, and, and that Marvin Wilson at Florida State, and some of those guys. But that's a that's a small minority, and, and it's got to be about the greater good at this point. So if if that means a season without them, I don't like it, but it's better than no season at all. Um, so what do you do? What do you do about the the fall the following fall? Because yeah. you're asking guys to play two seasons in one calendar year. Sure. So I think some of it is you have an abbreviated spring. Um, like, you know, I don't I don't think you try and play 12 games, but I think maybe you try six or eight or nine or something like that. I also, here, here's an idea, shorten the fall, the next fall a little bit. 
again, I don't, I don't like it. Um, I'm not, this, this is not what I want to do, but let, let's face it. If th these are, these are not perfect times. So you're, something is going to have to give maybe, um, so maybe it, you do shorten the, the next fall a little bit. You get rid of, uh, Florida state Samford or whoever their, their Humpty Dumpties are in, in, in 21. Um, maybe you do things to cut down on, uh, the, the off season conditioning and, and, the, the June, July, that type of period, maybe you cut down on the next training camp. Um, because we have to remember too, in a normal timeline, a normal world, teams are having contact in the spring anyway, it just practices. So it, I understand that it's different and there is going to be a toll on the body. Um, that's greater than what it would normally be. So maybe there's some ways to reduce the, the hits uh, in that June, July period. And then you know, maybe trim a week off the, the season in 21. I, I know, I know then you're asked, you're making one, one year of issues become two, but that might be the best thing to do to get, at least make, uh, you know, get some more games in there. I think that's a great question for our veteran NFL writers. So we, Say we have nine games in the spring and nine more in the fall. Some teams play 20, 18 to 20 games in one calendar year for a college athlete. What would our NFL writers say about that? It would be disastrous. Uh, the, the NFL is, is, is such a hostage to, you know, their own routine. Um, they do benefit from, you know, the minor league system of college sports, but uh, I would agree with what you said earlier, Joey. I mean, for the elite players and, and for the ones that the NFL pays the most attention to, um, at minimum, it would make them very nervous, uh, you know, to try to anticipate what's going to happen to, you know, Trevor, you know, to, to Lawrence in, in the spring and, and then draft him or prepare to draft him. I think you would have some very prominent college players say they can't play. It's just too much risk. There's so much money involved. Um, scouting, you know, the rhythm of it is is sort of perfect, set up perfectly for them right now. Of course, the NFL is still trying to figure out how they're going to play. They don't have an agreement with their union just yet, but nothing has slowed their schedule down. I don't expect it to. Um, they'll probably start the season at some point. They have levers they can pull, but um, you know, the idea of of having to move the draft and and you know, just this the rhythm of the NFL, it would be very difficult. They they would not be. Very amused by that. I think there's there's a chance at least that the Ivy League, which was the first to cancel maybe um, its season, that maybe uh, some some you know there are some Ivy League players in the NFL. Maybe that makes sense from a lot of res respects because they would also you know garner some attention by playing, you know not not being the Tuesday night game in the fall. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, you know. I I think you're right for some of those the smaller leagues it, it does make sense. Um, I guess I should point out too. Was it the? Didn't the A, wasn't the AAF a a spring league, right? And yes. some of those guys still were able to play in the fall and got picked up on NFL rosters. So there is some sort of precedent to you, this. I, I understand you, you, there's it's it's different. Um, yeah, yeah, and no, the NFL is not going to change, but everybody's going to have to deal, right? They'll like, have to none deal. of this is mm -hmm. perfect. I I, I, I right. always you know my my wife and I, you know, she's a, she works in education in Pasco County we go back and forth talking about schools opening and, and the colleges and all this stuff. And I always come back to this. There are no good answers. Mm -hmm. There aren't. If there were good answers, we would have been t spending this entire podcast talking about whether Florida can beat Georgia this, this year, um, mm -hmm. whether the, you know, how good the bulls are going to be, what kind of steps they're going to make with Jeff Scott and on and on. But we barely touched on it because there are no good answers to any of this. Right. Um, so what is the least bad answer? And the least bad answer, I mean, it's like whack-a-mole, except the yeah. moles win. Spoiler, you don't have enough arms, you're not fast enough, the moles are going to win. So how can mm -hmm. you knock the most of them down uh, for as long as possible? And that's kind of what I think we're all trying to do. And yes, one issue is going to pop up with two more, but some of them you're just going to have to deal with. One thing each of you will wrap it up on this are, are kind of going to be watching a shoe to drop or a question that, that you have that, that maybe we you know, haven't gotten totally into yet or just something that, that is going to be, you know, sort of a barometer for which way we're headed. Whatever the SEC does, <laughs> whatever decision they make, that's where the dominoes are going to fall, baby. I, I think you're right. I, I, my gut tells me the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 are going to kind of link arms and, and try to do that, try and be together here as an autonomous three, even though the autonomous five didn't 
quite work like that. Yeah, mm. I, I I just want to know what's going to happen next week. That that's going you know what, because that's kind of the, the next. I don't want to say deadline. That's the next time frame on when they're going to make some news. I don't know what the news is. I keep trying to think what do I need to be thinking about to write to, to pre-write, and I don't I don't know. I'm just going to have to adjust to whatever they decide. And I just want to know how. I guess I want to know how far they can kick this can down the road because that's what I think is going to happen. Right. They're going to run this, these ground balls out. So how how long can they keep doing this before they have to, you know, decide one way or the other? You're in or you're out. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. We answered absolutely no questions because <laughs> we don't have the answers either. Um, but no, you guys were you guys are great. Uh, we're, we're fortunate, and I really mean this that we have two of the best college football writers in the nation, and you guys are definitely on top of it. We, we certainly hope that we have college football. We hope we have football and sports in general and that uh, we start to see a reduction here in cases in, in, in this state and others. But um, thanks so much. You can read these guys, of course, in the Tampa Bay Times on tampabay.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. What a great discussion, those two guys. Check them, as I said, on tampabay.com. Uh, man, college football, I sure hope. If I can't wake up on a Saturday morning and watch college game day, my whole rhythm of the fall is going to be uh, completely messed up. So hopefully uh, we get all of that worked out in time. Hey, on tomorrow's podcast, I mentioned earlier, it is opening day in Major League Baseball. It's the Rays hosting the Blue Jays at the Trop. We have baseball and we have Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, our Rays beat writer, to get you ready for opening day on the podcast tomorrow. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 